This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to this episode of The Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. And in this episode, I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming John Boych. Now, the creation of Boych Family Cellars is a perfect example of how dreaming big, and I love this line, choosing passion over practical, has guided proprietor John Boych in all aspects of his life. Now, John was born in Phoenix, Arizona, and he left to attend the University of Colorado Boulder, where he studied economics. But music kind of got in his way. He's a gifted guitarist, singer, songwriter. And John decided to take a year off from college to tour as a professional musician before returning to complete his degree. In 93, John moved to San Francisco and on a visit to wine country in, I think, 1997, if I got that right, he, uh, he decided to surreptitiously purchase raw wild land on Napa's Mount Veter. That's pretty remote up there. And then he decides on top of that to plant a vineyard one Saturday at a time over an eight year period between the time he got his first vine in the ground and the time he started making wine. Now with ambition to make world stage wines, John's assembled a collection of iconic vineyard sources, such as Andy Beckstoffer's Tokalon, super famous, as well as the winery's three-acre estate gem, Wall Road Vineyard, in the northern tip of Mount Veter. In addition to the Wall Road Vineyard, he also has the Wall Road Terrace, the steep estate vineyard that John planted himself. And he makes a rare 25 cases that he shares with a few lucky wine lovers. Under the guiding hand of head winemaker Jeff Ames, each Boich family cellar wine offers its own world to discover. John, welcome to the podcast. What a pleasure. Thank you, Scott. Delighted to be here. So I understand that you uh, have a little bit of an accolade. You were recently described, I believe, in the Psalm Journal as the rising star of Napa and that you're one of the best kept secrets in, uh, in Napa. Uh, I, w- I understand you've been described as the the producer that wine collectors like to turn other wine collectors onto. So, you know, that that's pretty heady stuff. What started all of this? How did you decide to just one day plant a vineyard by hand? Yeah. You know, it has been such a fantastic journey and I'm going to walk you through the whole thing, but from the inception, Scott, the vision, my vision was, was quality. When I started getting involved with wine and was contemplating to be in the commercial wine business, it was always about making wine that would stand on the world stage. Never wanted to make a lot of wine, just wanted to make very fine wine. So that vision has guided us through all of our decisions from choosing winemakers to vineyard selections and how we farm up at Wall Road Vineyard. So, and the wines reflect that. We're really, really proud to get calls from our, our customers and our enthusiasts that, uh, you know, sending texts of bottle shots, drinking these wines and loving them and the kind of rankings we're getting. We're, we're super, super pleased, but going back to the beginning, this is, I'll put it this way, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when I was, you know, in my thirties and early forties, I never would have dreamt that, I'd be sitting here doing a wine podcast as a vintner. 
right? I think there's a lot of stories of professionals who come from faraway places like New York and Boston and Chicago and they're accountants and attorneys and, you know, very kind of white, water, white collar professionals who come to Napa and just fall in love. It's like, oh my gosh, I got to be here. That's my story too. <laughs> yes. I was living, uh, I'm one of those guys. I mean, I'm an economist for crying out loud. It doesn't get much more boring than that. My, my companion for most of my professional life was an Excel spreadsheet in a cubicle, you know? So when you, you know, when you discover Napa Valley, it just brings out a side that has been dormant. And that was absolutely my case. So, John, how did you discover Napa Valley? You know, first, Scott, it was, again, finance professional working in San Francisco. So Napa was close enough. I would come up on weekends and just do the wine tasting thing. So I became members at different wineries, and I was really enjoying the fun side of Napa and Sonoma Valleys. One of those Saturdays, uh, I rolled into the Prudential Realty Office in St. Helena just for kicks and giggles. I was curious, what do you get for your money in Napa Valley, land-wise, right, home-wise? So this delightful woman walked me through her book of business and I said, thank you very much, but I'm just goofing off. And she says, well, there is one more thing. It's raw land. It's not listed, but it might be soon. If you want to see it, I'll show it to you. I had nothing to do. So we hopped in our cars. We had south on 29, west on the Oakville grade. For those of you that know the neighborhood, you kind of know where you're going up towards Promontory, the Bond property. We weave up to this parcel of land that looks east back towards Napa Valley at about a 1,550 foot elevation. And it's just raw land, super rugged. And I looked back at the view and said, oh my gosh, I'll take it. How much is it? And honest to God, Scott, that was the beginning. That was August of 1997. I bought my first 10 acres of land in Napa Valley, I would say on a whim. Wow. Okay. That's, and this was raw land. I mean, there was no vineyard. There was just, I guess we're talking what sagebrush and trees. Yeah. I mean, up here, there are a lot of oak trees. There are a lot of bay laurel trees and madrones. Um, so it's pretty thickly forested on this side of the valley, but it was the, it was the beauty, it was this view looking back into this open vastness towards Napa Valley that was just captivating. To, to have an asset like that in my back pocket, I thought, wow, I'll figure out what to do with it later. But for now, like I, I, I said, I could be happy just camping up here on the weekends. I had two young sons at the time, and I thought, wow, that would be fun for the boys. We'll come up here and you know build a camping shed and have some fun with it, right? Um, which in fact is what we did for a little while before we developed it into a vineyard land. But it, it was that, it was that just passion taking over. There was no practical, you know, thinking about it. It was a good example of, of passion trumps practical, like get outside of your comfort zone a little bit. And that was the seed that developed into the root that developed into the mature plant of Boyce family cellar today. And, and let me get this straight. As I recall, you actually spent 
every Saturday or a lot of Saturdays for eight years planting that vineyard. It's true. The very first vineyard was on a very steep slope on this first 10 acres. And it required removing trees, removing rocks, probably taking a stump out of the ground on a 30% slope. It's four guys and a bunch of pickaxes. Maybe that's one day of work, right? One tree. Hundreds of trees had to come out. We had to build retaining walls to retain the side and then plant the vineyard. And I was working full-time at the time. So it took eight years of Saturdays. And truth be told, not all Saturdays, but most Saturdays to get the first vine in the ground and what we now call the wall road terrace. Wow. And it turned out making an absolute exquisite Syrah. At the time, Scott, I was loving my Northern Rhone varietal. So Syrah with a little bit of Viognier in, still one oh, of yeah. my favorite ones of all time. Yeah, classic coat roti. Yeah, so that's exactly what we planted. And that's exactly what it came out as. In fact, your friend Robert gave that wine 95 points on the 14 vintage. And it's not even distributed. I make 25 cases. I take keep half for myself and spread a little out to some of our, our Syrah-loving customers. And that's it. But uh, Robert got a hold of it and loved it as well. I like Syrah. Well, <laughs> when you come, when you come... I, I only wish I would have kept more. I was just Drake. I'll roll into the wine cellar, you know, grab one of those every every week or two because it's so damn good. I wish I would have just kept more. But when you come, we'll drink some. Well, John, let, let me tell you something. You spend eight years playing a vineyard. You can drink whatever you want out of that site. <laughs> <laughs> the fun part of the story, Scott, that I love to tell is like the, the transformation that took place from being a finance professional to being a farmer. And it was one of the, it's one of those memories in my life that I remember so vividly because it was really impactful on my life. And, you know, I was a studied economics. I became a chartered financial analyst and I became a fund manager. So my, my job was, was a portfolio manager for a discipline we called global equities, long only and long short equities. I had a team of analysts and we managed at our peak $4 billion, right? It was a big job. It was a stressful job. It was super labor intensive. But when Saturdays would come, I the first couple of months, I'd go to the U-Haul rental place. I'd rent a pickup truck because I had a BMW 5 Series, which wouldn't even make it up there. And then I'd stop at Jackson's in San Rafael, which has a great rental department. I'd rent a couple of chainsaws. I'd go to the Barking Dog in Sonoma where I could always find a crew to work with me that day. And we roll up to the property and go to work. Before I knew it, the BMW was gone. I now drive a Ford F-350. And the suits and ties are in the corner of the closet. And I got a whole section of Carhartt work clothes, right? It's like, and it was just, once I got up here and started working outside, which was a first time life experience for me, right? Um, working on land that I owned, building something, that experience for me was transformational. And I would recommend it for anybody and everybody who can find the time and the resources. I don't care if you're building a shed or a house or putting a vineyard in to get out, get your hands dirty, work with other men. And at the end of every, every day, you say, 
look what we did. It was one of the most gratifying times of my life. Wow. So maybe your autobiography should be called The Metamorphosis of John Boych. You know, I really thought that I had found my true north and groove in finance and economics. And I so loved that career. Um, and I thought it was going to be me, you know, for all of my days until I discovered Napa Valley and, and working outside. And then all of a sudden I had a competing interest to finance, which was Napa and eventually winemaking. And it, in terms of importance, it, it totally trumps my, my day job behind the desk. You are making remarkable wines. And I understand that you have other vineyards that you're also sourcing fruit from. One that's pretty famous and uh, from a pretty famous farmer himself. Of course, we talked a little bit about Andy Beckstoffer before the podcast started. And I understand you have a really good relationship with Andy. I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. I'll tell you, let me start by telling kind of the original introduction to Andy, how we met, how we started and kind of how we got to where we are. Cause it is a fun story that goes back to 2011, a decade ago when, when I decided to, when I decided to, to make wine a commercial business instead of a hobby, I went out looking for winemakers. So up here at the property, I had a camping shed and I invited the winemakers up one at a time to come up and chat with me about my vision and see who may be interested in, in working with me. I'm not going to mention all the names, but all of these guys are now super famous, including Jeff Ames, who's the fellow that we, uh, that we chose. Um, but it was that time in the summer of 2011, I met Jeff Ames and we hit it off from the get-go. The, you know, the model for my, my wine brand at the time I was enjoying the Schrader wines, Fred Schrader's old operation. Sure, yeah. And Thomas Brown was the winemaker. Jeff Ames was the assistant to Thomas up until 2008, I think it was. So they, they made four perfect wines together at Schrader before Jeff went off to be the head winemaker at Tor. So now fast forward, we share the winemaker with Tor Kenward, Jeff Ames. But it was through Jeff. I'm not sure I ever would have met Andy Beckstoffer and been able to build the relationship with Andy that we did if it wasn't for Jeff Ames. Jeff already had a long relationship with Andy via Schrader, uh, and he opened the door to us. Andy took us in um, in 2012. Our first agreement with him was 20 rows in the Beckstoffer George III Vineyard. G block right next to Schrader on the H block. And wow, it was fantastic. So the relationship with, with Andy goes back to Jeff and it, it was 20 rows, about four tons of fruit, about two, 240 cases of wine back in the 2012 vintage. Wow. Very rarefied. Yeah. Yeah. What happened to Remember at that time, I was still working full time. So the wine was the commercial wine brand was still a bit of a hobby. I meant it to be that. So 2014 rolls around and we've got this wine to release from 2012. We have a release party at the Farmstead restaurant. Jeff shows up, some family and friends. I had one distribution connection in Vegas, a buddy of mine. So we have the release party. We start a little website. 
We go to Vegas and show the wines. There's a super fun story to tell about that as well with that first vintage. Um, and the next thing I knew, Scott, we're out of wine. Like we didn't even save any wine for library. I'm like, wait a minute, stop, stop. We need to save some wine, right? Um, and I thought, huh, we're going to need more fruit. we're going to need a bigger boat (laughs) yes so what started as uh it was really supposed to be a a a retirement hobby career 250 cases is now 2500 from five single vineyard sites yeah and i'm which is still tiny as you know i mean that's a small brand but um all of it built on the belief that amazing wine all starts in the vineyard and quality over quantity. You know, if we can't make it by hand from the vineyard to the crush pad to the barrel chaise, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not interested. Um, so it's growing into this, you know, small to medium sized wine brand with some super iconic vineyard sources behind these, these wines that, uh, the collectors really, really have enjoyed being introduced to. Well, I would call it boutique. Yeah, boutique for sure. Right. And under the radar, I mean, we've never done any advertising or anything. It's been all word of mouth. And it's really amazing. It's just how it happens. Someone comes up and at the first, it was just at my house. They would come taste the wine and be, wow, that's fantastic. I'll take some wine. And next thing you know, it'd be like, Hey, uh, Scott was just up at your house, John, said I should come up. Can I come up? Like, yeah, come on up. And, you know, one person was two, two was four, four was eight, eight was 16. And that's kind of how it worked, you know. Now it's 1,700 wine buying customers on our direct consumer list, which we're super proud of. So I, w- I want to talk a little bit about those tasting experiences. But before we do, you had mentioned that, you know, now we've got a lot more fruit. We're making about 2,500 cases of wine. Um, but I think you're leaving out a pretty impressive part of that story is that the fruit that you're getting in addition to your own vineyard site, which I understand is phenomenal, you know, back to Andy Beckstoffer for a second, it's, it's not just the, the George the third site. You're also in, uh, his Missouri hopper and his toe Kalan site, which, you know, kind of royalty in terms of vineyard sites. And the Ritchie Vineyard in Sonoma, which I'm curious, what are you what are you producing out of that that particular vineyard? We make one Chardonnay, four single vineyard cabs, and one Chardonnay because my mom is a Chardonnay lover. <laughs> and if Mama yeah. ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> Mama's the head baker; she bakes fresh bread, and we serve it uh, at the tasting. So, yeah, she's integral to the whole process. All right. So now let's talk about the tasting. I understand that you offer a tasting experience unlike anybody else in Napa Valley. I mean, this is not just go to a tasting room and have your traditional experience. You really customize these tasting experiences for people. Yeah, we really do. I mean, I first have to say, you know, we have a handful of tasting experiences that are, you know, in in Napa Valley and, where, you know, if you go to our website and you say taste with points, that's where you go. So, for example, we taste at the Crush Pad where we have visitation, which is great. A super swanky kind of almost speakeasy restoration hardware room that we built out in the wine cave. Fits about six people. 
Um, Jeff is around half the time, so he pops in and we can pop into the barrels there as well as taste the current release wines. That's super fun. Um, we also have great relationships with Bricks Restaurant, one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Charter. Love it. Yeah. So you're like, hey, John, it's Scott. There's four of us. We'd love to do wine paired lunch at Bricks on this day. So they set up a private table. They set up all the stemware. Um, we have some yummy foods. Boyce Family Cellar host shows up. Very convenient way to, to get the wines in front of people. Because coming up to the estate, Scott, you know the road. It's like 20 minutes off of Highway 29 on a pretty rugged mountain road, right? And that's what, what you're kind of referring to. When we, we do some things up here at the estate for you know VIPs and, and special people that are, are really, really neat. You know, we're musicians, so there's music involved. We're huge food geeks, so there's always some fun culinary bit involved. This is where my personal wine cellar is. So there's all some of that involved. And, um, but that's reserved for the, the, the few who know Boyd and are, and are super special, you know? Yeah. But all your tasting experiences, I should point out, all your tasting experiences are by appointment only. I mean, nobody's just, just showing up. Yeah. I mean, right. yeah. If you ever taste with Boyd, it's 100% private. Whether you're at the Crush Pad or at Bricks or at the estate or at the vineyard, it's 100% private. Yeah. And I understand that uh, even from time to time, you're talking about music. There might be an impromptu jam session with uh, with you on guitar. We've had so much fun with that. Yeah. So I play guitar. I singer, songwriter, play some guitar. My uh, one of my partners in the business, Yanni, when he's around, he's got a super strong voice. So after a couple of glasses of wine, we can get it on a little bit. And then we've had musicians show up. So my living room at the estate, Scott is set up as plug and play because we do a lot of music. There's a Yamaha baby grand. There's a PA wow. system. There's a cabinet full of guitars and amps. So when people show up who are musicians, boom, plug, play, super easy. Everything's just sitting there, you know, that makes for a fun afternoon. I got to say. <laughs> so, uh, so I'd be okay bringing my bagpipes. hundred <laughs> percent. Cool. Just tell me what key we're in if bagpipes have keys we're, we're good to go that's awesome so john we're getting to the point in the podcast where i'm getting kind of thirsty and i want to know what's in your glass i understand uh, you have two very special wines for us today which i'm yeah, very excited about i do 100 we're going to be tasting uh the 2018 beckstoffer tokalon and the 2000 18 Wall Road Vineyard, which is our estate vineyard. Let's let's kick it off with the Tokalon real quick because sure. This is a this is a vineyard site that m most collectors know about. I would say I I describe Tokalon as not only one of the six heritage vineyards in the Beckstoffer lineup, but one of the most famous vineyards in Napa Valley, Absolutely. where probably you know more hundred point wines have come out of those, those blocks than most other vineyards. So, and it's got a long history as well, as you know, have you ever seen that old, uh, that old clip from the 1890s, the international wine journal, I think it was called. And it was a little blur about, Hey, old man crab. I think it was Bill or William crab wrote at the time is making some interesting wine from that Tokalon vineyard. There's a couple of lines about it, but it goes back to, you know, 19th century. So, 
That's pretty long history as far as American standards go. But this is a site on Highway 29, just south of the Mondavi operation. So most people know that landmark. You know, every wine growing region in the world has their gems. When you look up at Batard Montrachet in Burgundy and you see those white limestone upcroppings coming up and then you mm -hmm. taste that wine, it's like, wow, there's only one place like that and it's there. That's what Tokelon is in Napa. You know, it's on the west side of 29, butts up to the foothills of the Mayakema Mountains. So you do get all those just centuries of, of uh, the, the mountain coming down into the valley floor um, to get to the valley. And it's just, it's just a spice box. That's how Jeff likes to describe it. Like when you taste that wine, there's so much going on in there that it's so complex and so layered. It's like that year in and year out, which is why it is what it is. It's a, it's a gorgeous site. And the 18 vintage, I'll quote, or I may misquote him, but Antonio Goloni says, look, 18 and 19 are two vintages like none I've ever seen before in Napa. So we all knew that it was good, but it's as I'm starting to drink these 18 wines now, Scott, which is our current release. We're on a three-year cycle. They're tasting phenomenal, phenomenal. So that vineyard site, together with a very collectible vintage, 2018, is making for a super impressive wine. We were drinking, I had the whole line out out last night with some friends and the 2018 Tokelon um, always stands out in the line out, just line up because of, of what it is. I had them decanted for about 90 minutes, which is okay. But if you're drinking these wines, I strongly recommend open them in the morning, climate control, have them in the decanter all day long until dinner time and drink them then. Um, or pour a glass, cork it, put it in the pantry, drink it the next day. That or, you know, cellar it for three to five years. Uh, they're, they're good right now to, to pour, but they're big age-worthy wines and they are going to be showing fantastic in the next five years wow wow but love the 18 tokelon and i was going to say people know that so i don't need to say too much about the tokelon vineyard because anyone who's listening who knows napa knows tokelon the wall road vineyard on the other hand is a different story and not that well known it's um it's our estate vineyard it's located on wall road in napa valley which is at the very top of the oakville grade looking back towards napa um, so it's the northern tip of the Vider AVA with a south-southeast kind of exposure. It's rugged. It's pretty steep. It's volcanic. We've got um, 337 and 4 for the Wine Geeks, clone 337 and 4 on mostly 3309. The vineyard has a little bit of Cab Franc in there, 312 on 3309, um, about 10%. So it's the only wine we make, Scott, that's not 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. And um, the cool thing about this vineyard, it was planted by Dwayne Wall, who is the last remaining Wall of the Wall family, who settled this whole area in the 30s. Peter Wall was a settler here who owned all this land. Mm. Dwayne Wall, which is the great story, he was a cooper, Nadalier. So he sold barrels for a living. He sold barrels to Every vintner in Napa in the 80s. 
He planted this vineyard in 1999 with the help of his buds at the time, one of whom was David A. Brew. So they're all part of kind of the old farts club now in Napa. Uh, Dwayne Walls in his, in his 70s now. But it was a much smaller club, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, and they all helped one another out. So the Wall Road Vineyard was planted by, by Dwayne and his buds in, in 1999. It's his 22nd year. Cabernet Sauvignon with Cab Franc, three acres. We farm about three tons to the acre. So we're making about 450 cases of wine out of there a year. It's our best-selling wine. They all sell out every year. Wall's pretty fast to go. Um, and it's, you know, we're, we're a vintner that's under the radar. This is a vineyard and a wine under the radar from a vintner that's under the radar. For, for those wine enthusiasts looking to find the real hidden gems that their buds don't have yet, it's Boyd's Family Cellar, Wall Road Vineyard. And the cool. vintage is absolutely mind-blowing. Love so, it. John, how do people get these wines? Is there is a direct consumer? Is there a website? Is there a waiting list? I mean, you yeah, know. there's two ways to do it. So, one, you can if you're coming to Napa, go to the website. Um, you can just contact us, but there's a tab for tasting with Boich. Um, hit us up. We'll connect and get the wines in front of you that way. You can also become a priority allocation member. So we have membership, we have allocation, which is if you've ever purchased wine, you get an allocation offer every year. Right. But now the list is big and the wine is in low quantities. So now you need to become a priority allocation member. We fulfill all of our priority allocation members first, then we release to our allocation members in the general public. So if you want to be on the list and you want to be guaranteed to get the wines that you want at release, it's a good idea to become a priority allocation member. And all you have to do is commit to one free pack of wine a year. It's pretty easy. But you still haven't told me the website or how people get in touch oh. with this. You re- <laughs> I don't think you really understand how this works. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I have this glass of wine in front of me at 2.30 in the afternoon here. But um, So BoichFamilyCellar.com, B-O-I-C-H. That's how you find Boich. Okay, Boyd's family celebrity. Yeah, an old Slavic name. And yeah, there's plenty of ways to contact us. And, you know, if you click around enough, there's a lot of information on the website, Scott. We've got spec sheets on all the wines. All the vineyards are up there. There's not much to buy in the store right now because the wines are pretty much sold out from last year. So you'll just see sold out on everything. But go to become a member and then you'll get notified the next release, which is September 9th this year. September 9th. All right. Good to keep uh, that. We'll try to get this podcast out before then, obviously, because we want people to try your wines. And I have to say, John, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. Your enthusiasm is infectious. (laughs) Thank you, Scott. Hey, I look forward to hanging out with you here at Napa. So when you're coming this way, grab Cindy, you guys come out and we'll have some fun. It sounds like a date. I'd love to and can't wait to travel again. Once again, John, thank you so much for being here with me today. You're welcome, Scott. Thanks for the opportunity. Look forward to seeing you in Napa sometime soon.
Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. The music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Liebowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and catch my Wine of the Week shows every Friday on WTOP.com and WTOP Radio. And remember, until the next time, do good, drink well. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.